Our scripture reading this morning is Nehemiah 1, 1 through 7. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the months of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. This is God's word. Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's an honor to stand here uh, where so many of my spiritual giants and heroes preached the word before. Excuse my voice, I just came from our national staff conference and I had to speak speak many times, and yesterday we had a, a great time with the leadership of this church uh, discussing <clears throat> important issues of our age. As you can tell uh, from my accent, I did not grow up here, <laughs> although uh, probably 20 years ago uh, when I walked into this church, someone asked me if I'm from Mississippi. I, I'm not going to point out the person who said that, okay? And, um, uh, you know, we are from Hungary. Uh, we grew up there. I was 50 years old when six, six and a half years ago the Lord called us to, to come to the U.S. and, um, and serve here uh, with, um, and help start a new division for our mission organization called Church Movements. We live in <coughs> Kansas City, uh, the land of the chiefs. <laughs> you know, a lot, lot of people tried to help me to get culturally acclimated and, and understand the, the U.S. culture, especially the sport culture. Uh, I need to thank Larry Parrish and Bob Stanley, their attempt to take me to a Redbirds game. It was not successful. Okay, uh, although they were very excited to explain to a European uh, what baseball is, but I, I still don't understand why do you guys have three pillows there and, and the whole game. But I fell in love with, uh, with uh, um, American football. I still don't understand why you call it football because you hardly kick the ball. Uh, and... Um, um, you know, especially the Chiefs, it's amazing. I'm, I'm really glad that now we put Taylor Swift on the map. 
you know, it's, um, so, um, you know, I remember that this was um, 20, I think 25 years ago was the very first time I came to the U.S., and this was the very first church that I have visited, and we have a lot of friends here, and we, we love you. You saw our kids growing up. Um, you became friends uh, of us, so we're, we're thankful for you all. Now, the story of Nehemiah, I purposefully chose this story because there are a lot of similarities to our age right now. The, the story takes us back to uh, 455 B.C., when the Persian king gave permission to Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And regardless of the growing opposition and how impossible it seemed, they succeeded, and they, that was the third wave of moving back to, to the land. Now, the story starts with a bad news. The walls of Jerusalem are broken, and its gates are burning. Well, the walls of America are broken, and its gates are burning. My wife and I grew up under communism, and we don't have time to tell all the uh, generational destruction uh, our country and our families went through and suffered because of power-hungry, murderous, demon-possessed, God-hating people. Uh, hedonistic, men-worshipping men people took control of the country. First, they took control of the culture, then they, they changed politics, and then they started to control everybody. Now, Nehemiah was devastated by the news that the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. For 141 years, the walls were broken, and nothing happened. For 141 years. But when Nehemiah heard one sentence, only one sentence, his life was changed. Now, why was he concerned that the walls of Jerusalem was broken? Because walls, boundaries, are defining agencies. They provide definition identity, and protection. And within the boundaries of Jerusalem, a certain culture, certain values, certain rules, religions, system exist. And without that, they did not exist. The life without boundaries, the life within the boundaries of Jerusalem had a future. Without that, they did not have a future. Just think about an egg. An egg, with, an egg without its shell it's only used for food. But the, the, with the shell, there is an, a potential for a new life. So when we came to, <clears throat> so he saw that every pillar of, pillar of the society was just destroyed. And that was his, his problem, his concern. When we came to America, we, we were greatly surprised to see very, similar progress we knew so well from our communist country, our post-communist country. There is a seismic, seismic change in the culture of America, even that's 
you know, uh, visible in the past five years, six years. We're still outsiders. So I don't have, you know, a lot of right to tell you what's wrong. But let me tell you something. I, uh, this is something that all men experienced when they, they walk into a locker room. And then we go in and say, hey, guys, we need to open the window. Okay? Uh, I'm, I'm coming in as an outsider, and I'm telling you, we need, we, need a, we need to open the window. There's something going on in this country that, um, that it's very drastic. The walls of America are destroyed and its gates are burning because every single thing that identifies us is under attack. Our religious identity and faith is under attack. Our national identity is under attack. Our sexual norms are under attack. Our gender identity is under attack. We don't even know what a man and a woman is. Uh, our family definition and identity is under attack. Our past history is under attack. Without the proper knowledge of the past, we cannot have a prosperous future. Our value for life and when it begins is under attack. Our basic institutions are under, are under attack. Our education system is under attack. Uh, and kids are brainwashed and indoctrinated through the education system. So much so that after the gruesome attack of Hamas, kids are marching in streets, on the streets and chanting that glory to the murderers. Our physical safety is under attack by the increased crime rate. There are cities that are, are wastelands in America. Reasons and, and rationality is under attack as truth is determined and defined by the feelings of the individuals. Our unity is under attack as truth as, a, as we are forcefully divided by race, gender, economic uh, uh, resources, or sexual orientation, our shared ethos and morale is under attack. Every year, 2.5 million Americans leave the church, and 4,000 churches closes every single year. Currently, 168 million Americans say they do not believe in God and they don't believe in Jesus. The, the United States now is the fifth largest nation with the most non-Christians residing within its geopolitical borders. We have more non-Christians, God-haters, God-deniers, than the whole population of Russia. Does this concern you? Vast majority of Americans reject Christianity. Generation Z, the youngest generation, is leaving the church in droves. That, gener that generation is spiritually illiterate. In the past 10 years, teenage suicide grew 151%. Teenage depression grew 189%. Gender dysphoria in the past seven years grew 666 times. 20% of the youngest generation identify as a LGBTQ. 
you say, well, still there are a lot of churches in America. There are still a lot of people go to church. Well, 42% of those going to church in America do not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. 60% of churchgoer Americans believe that they can earn their way to heaven by doing good. What kind of churches are they going to? What do they hear? Rod Dreher wrote an excellent book called The Benedict Option. I highly recommend it. He wrote in this, The spiritual crisis overtaking the West is the most serious since the fall of the Roman Empire. The light of Christianity is flickering out all over the West, the breakdown of the natural family, the loss of traditional moral values, and the fragmenting of communities. We were troubled by these developments, but believed they were reversible and did not reflect anything fundamentally wrong with our approach to faith. The sense one had was, there is nothing here that cannot be fixed by continuing to do what Christians have been doing for decades. If the demographic trends continue, our churches will soon be empty. While we were doing church, while we were doing all the wonderful things, we had our podcasts and all the great things, our walls had been destroyed. While still America has access to the gospel, but they reject the access. When the walls or burning, we cannot just rearrange furnitures. We need to do some major changes. What will you do about that? That one bad news Nehemiah heard changed his life. What burdens you so much that will make you weep, pray, and pound the table and change your life? Or are you just so inoculated with all the bad news, and say, I cannot do anything about that. We came to America to be missionaries because your walls are broken. And as they crumble, they are going to bury other nations underneath. We left our family, our kids, our elderly parents, our culture, our home, our ministry to help rebuild the walls of this nation. So what shall we do? Well, the first thing that, that Nehemiah did, we need to do what Nehemiah did first, pray and repent. He says that as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And, con and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I, my father's house, have sinned. So what did Nehemiah do? He owned his nation's sin. He did not say, oh, they are, I mean, they are the sinners. We're, we're, I'm, I'm still a good person. He said, we have sinned. I have sinned. The, these nations' sins is my sin. So I'm going to represent it before the Lord. All the, everything we do, it's, it's my sin. There's not, an, not one other nation in history that has received so many fantastic Christian literature, teaching, churches, 
and resources than the United States of America. 90% of Christian literature, the fantastic missionaries and, and people of God were in English. The best seminaries are in the U.S. God raised up incredible people and used them incredibly around the globe. And with all that wealth and resources, we are having the fastest decline of Christianity. It reminds me of what Jesus said. I hate to be hard here. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I hope Jesus will not say to us one day, Woe to you, America. For if the work done in you had been done in Russia and China, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In Ezekiel 22, 30, God says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Nehemiah was a man who stood in the gap. There is an incredible growing missional gap in the United States, a gap between God and man. And the church needs to stand there representing the people who can't represent themselves and begging for mercy of God. Lamentations 2.14, God says, Your prophets have seen you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. The only way to restore the fortune of a nation is to expose her iniquities. So when God brings that to us, we just need to humbly bow before him and repent and take the sins of this nation before the throne of God and ask God for mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. We don't know what to do. The second, what Nehemiah did, he went out and took risk and started to build a wall. Even if, even if it, it cost, if you read the story, it was risky to go to the king and say, I have, to, I have to do something about that. I cannot just be silent. I need to be a wall builder, and I need to, I need to mobilize others to build a wall of Jerusalem. The gap where the church needs to stand is the gap, is the gap which has an eternal weight the gap between man and God. Jesus breached that gap, and the church needs to stand right there to represent and proclaim the eternal good news that every human is invited to be a child of God. Why do we need to do that? What should motivate us to stand in the gap? It's our love for God and love for people. You know, um, a year ago, a little younger, longer than a year ago, my daughter got married. And uh, she lives in the UK, um, and her husband is, is a British man. And um, we did not have a lot of chance to get to know that dude. <laughs> but we love him because she loves him. Okay, so we love who she loves because we love her. 
So if we love God, we ought to love whom he loves. So who he loves? We know from John 3.16, we all know by heart, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So he loves the world. He loves people, even his enemies. And he gave. He did, God did not lose his son in an accident or in a sickness. Sometimes it happens that people lose a child in a tragic accident or a sickness. But God gave his son. Okay, if you would come to me, that, hey, I, I need a heart transplant, and your son would be the perfect person for that, I would say, I like you, I might love you, but no. Okay, I'm not going to give up the, the life of my son to save you, to save your life. If God gave the life of his son because he loved so much, then we can give our time, our words, our money, our comfort, so those who, who he died for would know about it. If we love Jesus, then we will help to lift the four burdens of Jesus. Here are the four burdens of Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. That's his burden. That's in his heart. He's looking for the one who's lost. So we need to help him. Come alongside him. How can I help to save, uh, seek and save the lost? Making disciples, that's his other burden. He said, go and make disciples. Moving to the broken, that's another, uh, another burden of his. You know, in, in, in Luke 4, when Jesus starts his ministry and walks in the synagogue, he takes up the scroll of Isaiah, he scrolls to the end of it, and in, in, in Isaiah 60 or 61, he reads his own job description. He said, I came to open the eyes of the blind and free the, and, and, and free the captives and the prisoners and the broken and the needy and the poor. So he came to them, and he came to build his church. He promised he's going to do that. Those are the four burdens of Jesus. We need to come alongside and partner with him. He invites us to do that. So how will the millions who are far from God know about this? How will they know if they think Christianity is irrelevant or, matter of fact, dangerous? How will they know if they are not willing to cross the threshold of churches? How will, they know, how will they know if they are not willing to come to an event where the pastor will share the gospel with them? Well, we need to change the paradigm. Instead of having a few big events, we need to have millions of moments where every believer is equipped to share the love of Jesus, where they work, learn, live, and play. We all need to be ambassadors for Christ. And this requires, you know, a, a, an equipping. We want to help you to be equipped to do that. That's our responsibility, to be equipped for this, for this job that God gave us. And every job you would start in any company, you would be equipped for it, right? I mean, you get training. Now, the church is responsible to equip you to, we read that in Ephesians 4. You know, God gave pastor, uh, apostles, pastors, uh, evangelists, shepherd, teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So come next Saturday and be equipped how to start spiritual conversations where you work, learn, live, and play. Now let me conclude with a story. This story is a divine drama. And this divine drama has three participants. That's a story of our neighbor, Michelle. There are three participants in her story. The first participant is Michelle, a single lady living alone who takes care of her mother. During COVID, we always saw her sitting outside uh, in her garage and smoking. And um, as we walked by, we just waved at her. One time, uh, my wife said, well, we should, we should invite her over for a tea. Now, she was very cautious about COVID, and she said, well, I don't want to go into a home, but, you know, bring your you know, portable chair out, and we could, we could have a, a socially distant conversation at the, at the driveway. And, um, you know, we started the conversation, and she learned that we're from Europe, and we just moved a couple of years ago, and her very first sentence was this, oh, um, listen, you should never watch Fox News, okay? <laughs> Only stupid people are watching Fox News. I mean, truly, that's what she said. And, and, um, and instead of going political, you know, we, uh, we started the conversation and turned it to spiritual. And end of a two-hour-long conversation, we shared a gospel with her, and she was in tears, and we prayed for her. Now she is a member of a church, and she serves as a, as a greeter in a church. So Michelle was clearly on a spiritual journey, but everyone is on a spiritual journey. Regardless they know it or not, because every person was created as a spiritual being for the image of God, so they are either moving toward God or they are moving away from God, or they are stuck somewhere. But they are on a journey. Now, the second actor in the divine drama is God himself. God is already at work in every people's life. Um, he's the Lord of the harvest, the master who orchestrates circumstances in each person's life. Uh, bringing conviction to them, bringing needs in their life, bringing brokenness in their life, and there, and which will bring us to the third participants. There we are, just everyday believers. You know, be alert in the opportunities with other people and how God wants to use all of us. We enter in other people's story at a, for a moment or at a, at, a, at a time, and we can journey with them. We can be co-journers with them in their spiritual journey and engage with them. God wants to use all of us in the lives of others as they journey in their spiritual journey. There, these are the foundational principles of what we call co-journers. Every person is on a spiritual journey created to worship and will worship something 
if they are not going to worship God. Second, God is always at work in the lives of people. And third, the Lord really wants to use us, every single one of us. The walls of this nation are broken. What makes a nation broken is not its systems, but its people. Because sick people are creating and recreating sick systems, broken systems. If we want to see a change in this nation, the only way this is going to happen if people are going to be changed. And the only thing that's going to change people, a changed heart, which only Jesus can do. Dr. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, asked us at a staff conference once, what is the most important thing that happened to you? Let me ask you this. What is the most important thing that happened to you in your life? I hope your answer is that Jesus saved me, changed my life, gave me eternal life, forgave my sins. So, and he asked this, the next question well, what is the most important thing that you can do to others to help them to come to that knowledge of Jesus Christ? A few years ago, I was traveling back uh, to the U.S. Uh, from Europe. And as I was waiting for boarding, I was wearing a, a chief's uh, gear. Yeah, I, I became a, a real fan. Okay. And there was, you know, we were waiting uh, for a long boarding time and all that. And uh, there was this lady uh, who saw that uh, chief's gear on me and said, well, oh, you're from Kansas. I said, well, I live in Kansas. I'm I'm, I'm from Europe. And she said, oh, I love Kansas because you guys are pro-abortion. And and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm actually on the other side of this of this story. And she said something I'm not going to repeat, but she said, oh, you're a Trump lover. And, and I said, well, you know, I'm, you know we're, we're just here in the, in the States. We're not citizens. We're, you know, we're with a visa and all that. And, and uh, she went on and on about how she hates Trump and how terrible everything is. And uh, instead of Becoming political, I ask her, can I ask you a question? She says, sure. He said, well, if everything is so terrible, what gives you hope? Now, she started to talk about, immediately she started to talk about her mother, who's 84 years old, and she has to take care of her, and she abused her all her life, and how she hates her life because of her mother, and how many wounds she has. And then I shared my story with her. I told her that, you know, I came from an abusive home. My father was very abusive. And I shared with her, I showed her some Bible verses from Isaiah 54 and shared the gospel with her, how God healed my wounds. And I asked her, can I pray for you? And she was in tears. And I prayed for her. You know, people are coming with brokenness. That they might, on the surface, they might hate Trump, or they might hate whatever, political whatever out there. But that's not their main problem. Their main problem is the brokenness of their life. They have a story that is completely broken. And we need to get to that story. 
If, we, if I would have started a political debate with her, it would be over. But because I tried to explore with questions, what is the real problem? Because every soul has a wound and a longing. Because they were created for God's image. So we need to explore that. Jesus asked 189 questions in the gospel. Not because he did not know the answer, but because he wanted to explore where people are spiritually. What do you want me to do for you? And that's our job. Help explore that. So just imagine with me a growing number of believers who are equipped and empowered to have significant gospel conversations as a way of life and demonstrate the love of Jesus everywhere. How would this country look like if millions of believers, in millions of moments, day in, day out, would carry out conversations? I just uh, saw a statistics. Just looking at the conversion rate in the U.S., if every month 1% of churchgoers in America, one month would have a conversation about Jesus, which means 12 conversations a year with a non-believer, then by the end of the year, we would have 770,000 new believers in this nation. The walls of America are broken, and the gates are burning. Let yourself to be, be burdened by it. America is the fifth largest nation with the most non-Christians residing within its borders. God is seeking people who are willing to stand in the gap. Will you be one? Let's pray. Lord, Forgive us. We bring the sins of this nation before you. Forgive us that we were ignorant. Forgive us our arrogance. Forgive us our convenience, our comfort. Lord, show us where we need to change. Show me where... Where are the people around me who need Jesus? Give me tools. Give me ways. Give me opportunities just to share the wonderful love and hope that you gave me. Amen.